If you flip over to page uh, 10 and 11, you should find there the, the passage we're going to look at this morning. And uh, we're going to cover chapter 42, 43, 44, and the first part of 45 in Genesis. So we're going to be here till mid-afternoon. Um, just kidding. We'll, uh, we're going we're to do a bit of a, an overview flyby. This, uh, it's one of the great things about um, literature, and particularly the Bible, is that it's not just a textbook, but it's a story of real people, of real events, uh, and sometimes uncomfortably real, uh, all too familiar in some ways. And so I just want to remind you kind of w- where we're at, what we're doing, and then uh, we're going to read the passage that will anchor much of what we're discussed this morning. So we're in the midst of a series of Genesis and also Romans. We've been going back and forth between these two books, as treating them as conversation partners, as you, uh, if you will, to help us to get a big picture idea of of how does the whole Bible fit together and lead us to Jesus. And just as a reminder, the book of Genesis, along with really Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and even Deuteronomy, the the first five books of the Bible, are all good news books written to God's people on their way to the promised land. So you need to think about everything we read and and look at in Genesis as written to people who have been in slavery for 400 years. They've been set free, and they're now on their way to their new home. And the good news of this story, where we are in Genesis, particularly this is a story we're in the Joseph section. Uh, so this is Jacob's son, Joseph, who is the son of Rachel. Uh, this whole section is really has him as the main character. And what is so profound about this section of, of the story of Genesis is, as if you've been around at all this summer, one of the things we've noticed is this family is by no means um, what we would call a, a, a paragon of virtue. This family, Jacob's family, and his, brother, his sons, even Jacob and his older brother Esau, this is a family that's got a lot of jealousy, a lot of deception, a lot of uh, favoritism. Uh, it's kind of realistic. And this whole story, at its heart, is trying to show us God is in the details of even our most ugly intentions, of our most hurtful actions. God is there. And there is a power at work in even the most ugly, hurtful intentions and actions to bring about good for you. That's what this whole section is about. And it's written to us today, but think about that written to God's people on the way to the promised land. Who we know, at least if you have a little bit of, of perspective on the story of the Old Testament, if you don't, it's not, it's not a pretty one. This story is written to people who need to hear good news that God is at work even when your life feels like nothing good could come from it. And especially when it's your fault. 
So where are we in this story? Let me just give us a little bit of a recap, and then we'll read this passage. Chapter 37 really is the beginning of of the Joseph section of the book. Joseph's 17 years old. He's Jacob's favorite, and he's a bit of a snot to his brothers and puts uh, shoves in their face that he's daddy's favorite, and the brothers don't like it, and they sell him off to slavery, and he ends up in Egypt. And then... Joseph is in Egypt, and he's put in charge of Potiphar's house. He's a high-ranking official, and Joseph does a great job, and Potiphar puts him in charge of his, his whole house. And then Joseph is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and Joseph is put in jail for two years. And it's not until he meets some people and he... Um, interprets some dreams and Pharaoh catches wind of it and and wants to ask Joseph's opinion because Pharaoh has this really weird dream where he has dreams about really fat cows and really scrawny, almost dying cows and says to Joseph, I don't know what this means. Can you tell me? And Joseph says, yeah. It means we're going to have seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, recognizes in Joseph somebody worth listening to. And Pharaoh actually uh, promotes Joseph, takes him out of jail, and makes him the number two person in the land of Egypt, which Egypt is the greatest world power in the world at this time. And Joseph, so when we come to chapter 42, verse 1, it's been 20 years since Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. 20 years. And he is now the second most powerful figure in the land of Egypt. And so when we come to chapter 22, and we start making our way through 42, 43, 44, 45, and as we'll see in coming weeks, 46 and 7, it's the story of God reconciling and restoring this family that has been torn apart. And the question is, how does that happen? So let's read, and then we'll jump in. We're going to read from chapter 44, verse 14, through verse 5 of chapter 45. And uh, I picked this passage because it really, in some ways, it summarizes portions of 42 uh, and 43. And also, this is really the climax of this part of the story. So we're going to read this, and then I'll tell you how we're going to unpack uh, these chapters. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They, They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it for me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah went up to him and said, O my Lord, 
Please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me that I may set my eyes on him. We said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said, We cannot go down. If our youngest brother goes with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in evil to Sheol. Now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then, as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore... Please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone get out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, so that the Egyptians heard it, And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you. To preserve life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. So here's the question we're going to try to, to, to answer. Up until chapter 42, all we know about this family is it's been torn apart. Joseph sold into slavery. Uh, the other, t- other brothers lie to Jacob. And Jacob is in grief over the loss of his son, how are they reconciled? What happens? How does God work in this family? Here's what I want to do. I want to look at, first of all, Joseph's strategy. Second, we're going to look at Judah's pledge. And then I want to finish by looking at our pledge of safety. So Joseph's strategy, Judah's pledge, and our pledge of safety. So first, let's look at Joseph's strategy here. Let me remind you the setting. There's a famine in Canaan. 
There are at least five years left of famine. And Jacob and his ten sons, along with Benjamin, you need to remember something here. There's, there's a dynamic at work. These ten sons are the sons of Leah. And if you remember back, Leah was not Jacob's favored wife. It was Rachel. And Rachel had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And so you just kind of have to imagine, it doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to, to realize that there may be some competition here. Who is Jacob's favored son? And we realize earlier that it's Joseph. And that didn't sit well with these other ten brothers, as became clear. But there is a food crisis in Canaan, and Jacob sends these ten brothers to Egypt to get food. And remember, Joseph is the governor over the land, and when these brothers come, Joseph recognizes them. He recognizes the ten brothers who sold him into slavery, but they don't recognize him. And so here's the question. Can these brothers be trusted? And so what Joseph does, if you want a good overview of chapter 42 to 44, Joseph's strategy in trying to discern the integrity, the loyalty, the reliability of these ten brothers is to actually recreate a similar situation to that situation that led to his brothers selling him into slavery. How does Joseph do that? That's essentially Joseph's strategy, and we're going to see how he does it. First of all, in chapter 42 is the first trip that these brothers make to Egypt. And they come to Joseph, and they're asking for food. Joseph recognizes them, and Joseph immediately accuses them of being spies. And he questions them very closely about their family, their father, their brother. Clearly, Joseph is trying to get information. Is Jacob still alive? Is Benjamin still alive? Or did you guys sell him into slavery too and he's gone? And the brothers answer Joseph, yes, we have a father of old age. He's still alive. And we have this younger brother who's beloved by our father. And Joseph says to these brothers, you must bring that younger brother back to me. And then he actually requires Simeon, one of the ten, to remain in Egypt while they go back with the food and tell their father what's happened. And an interesting twist, when Joseph sends them back, he actually puts all their money back in their, in, in their, um, their sacks. And when they get home, they discover that every single one of them, their money is back in their bag. So what is Joseph doing? He's put them in, their, in, his, in his debt. And he has kept one of their ten. And here's the question. Will these brothers honor their word? Will they actually come back for their brother, Simeon? And when they do, will they actually come back with the money that was given back to them? with extra money to pay for more food. See, Joseph is trying to test and see, will these brothers keep their word? Will they actually come back for 
one of their brothers, one of the ten of Leah's sons. And so, they do. They come back for a second trip. And when they come back, they come back with Benjamin, but not without a lot of convincing for Jacob. Jacob does not want Benjamin to go. And Judah says to to, to Jacob, we will not go back because the man said we will not see him if we do not come back with Benjamin. And Judah promises to take care of Benjamin, and we're going to look at that in a minute. And Jacob reluctantly lets him go. So they come back. They come back with the money that Joseph put back in their bags, plus extra money, plus a bunch of gifts, plus Benjamin. They're doing okay at this point. And when they come back, Joseph restores Simeon to them, and he has this big meal. And during that meal, he actually gives Benjamin a five-fold portion of food compared to the other brothers. Now, why does he do that? Well, think back. What was the, one of the biggest issues in chapter 37 that outraged these ten brothers about Joseph? It was that he was the favored son. Here, Joseph is favoring Benjamin to see how will these ten brothers respond. Will they respond in jealousy and outrage or not? And they don't. They delight in this meal together. There's no hint of the jealousy towards Benjamin that there was towards Joseph. Maybe these brothers have changed. And so... After this, the the brothers seem to be doing so far, uh, well so far, but Joseph isn't quite convinced yet. So after this meal, he sends the brothers back with Benjamin, with food. But this time, he puts all the money back in their sacks, and he has his silver cup put in Benjamin's sack. And shortly after these brothers leave to go back home, Joseph sends some of his men to track them down and accuses them of stealing this silver cup. And the brothers are like, we didn't do that. We didn't take anything. But the silver cup appears in Benjamin's sack. So they all return back to Egypt to face Joseph. And Here is now the climax of the story. Because what happens now is Joseph has the brothers right where he wants them to see. Have they really changed? Are they going to love Benjamin? Are they going to honor their father? Or will they do the same thing to him to Benjamin that they did to Joseph? Would, they, would these brothers forsake Benjamin if given the opportunity? And this is where we get to the second part of Judah's pledge. The narrator already has prepared us for this climax when we get to chapter 44. And let me remind you, here's the situation. 
Benjamin was found with the silver cup. Benjamin is the beloved son of Jacob. Judah and all the brothers know how devastating it would be if they cannot bring Benjamin back to Jacob. And you might be thinking, man, Joseph seems really like conniving and um, like he's blackmailing these brothers. But I want you to think about this for a moment because the narrator has been preparing us for this. So for example, back in chapter 42, during the first visit of the brothers to Egypt, the brothers to themselves confess their guilt and how they treated Joseph. And Joseph overhears them. They don't know who Joseph is and that he can understand their language, but he can. And when he hears these brothers admit what they did and that they were wrong, he has to run out of the room and he breaks down weeping. And then again, in chapter 43, when the brothers come back with the money that they, they were given back, plus extra money, plus all these gifts, plus Benjamin. And when Joseph sees Benjamin, he has to run out of the room because he breaks down weeping again. You see, the narrator is showing us how, sort of peeling back the curtain for us to see how these brothers are going to become reconciled. How their hearts are being are becoming more and more tender, preparing them for this climax, which really comes through in Judah's pledge. And here's what I want you to see. Judah speaks for all these brothers, these ten brothers. When confronted with what's happened, Benjamin has this silver cup. They come back, they face Joseph, and Judah takes the lead, and he goes to to Joseph, and and he asks for a hearing with Joseph. And what he says to, to Joseph is, please, my servant, let us all be your servants. Let us stay in consequence for, for what we've done. And it's very interesting. Commentators go back and forth. If you look in your passage here in uh, verse 40, chapter 44, verse 16, when uh, Jacob or J- Judah says, he says, God has found out the guilt of your servants. You might think that he's talking about the money that was put back in their sack or the fact that, that Benjamin had the silver cut. That's not really what he's talking about. What Judah is saying here is God has found us out with respect to Joseph. It's another instance where Judah is confessing and acknowledging what they've done. And here, what Judah wants Joseph to do is to take them all in as his servants. But then notice what Joseph says. He says, no. The only one that needs to remain with me is the one in whose sack the silver cup was found. That is Benjamin. And here's why this is the climax. What Joseph is doing, he is testing to see, will these brothers 
remain steadfast and loyal to Benjamin? Or will they forsake him and leave him a slave in Egypt just like they did to Joseph all those years ago and return home and lie to their father again? And here we have one of the most beautiful pictures of self-sacrifice in all of Scripture. Because what does Judah do? Look here. Verse 32. Your servant, this is Judah speaking to Joseph, says, your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. Now think about this. This is an amazing moment. Judah, back in chapter 37, it was his idea to sell Joseph and to make money off of him and to lie about it. To Jacob. And not only that, in chapter 38, we discover Judah is the one who mistreats his daughter-in-law and is outed for it. And now, all these years later, what do we see? We see Judah willingly saying, I will take the place of my brother Benjamin. Please let him go free. Let me be his substitute so he can go home and be welcomed home by his father who loves him. And Judah even says, let me, I said I would bear the shame all my life if that didn't happen. See, what Judah is doing, there has been a radical change in Judah. And all of these brothers. See, Judah isn't just speaking for himself here. The way that the writer portrays the story, Judah is speaking on behalf for all of these brothers. Sort of like Peter in the New Testament when he speaks on behalf of all the the apostles. That's what's happening here. And this is the beautiful thing about this story. When faced with the opportunity to forsake Benjamin, just like they did Joseph, and return home, they don't do that. They don't do that. And it's at this point that Joseph couldn't handle it any longer. And in in chapter 45, verse 1, Joseph could not control himself. He sends everybody out except his brothers. And then he says, weeping, to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now, I just want you to think about this. You know, I'd love for you to spend 30 minutes this afternoon. Read this story. It is just dripping with profound emotion. It is dripping with profound longing and hurt and wounds. And it's dripping with the power of reconciliation. And God does it. Why do we know that? Well, think, 
in verse 5 of, of Joseph's perspective here. Joseph's perspective to his brothers, who you got to imagine, when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, they must all think, well, this is the end of the road, boys. This is the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. We sold him into slavery. It's been over 20 years. He knows who we are. He knows what we've done. He could end us right now. And what does Joseph say? Joseph says, don't be afraid. Even though you meant it for evil, God sent me here for the saving of lives. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you think about your life that way? Do you think about the wounds and the longings and the hurts of your life from that kind of perspective? Why do we need to do that? Well, that brings us to our last point here about our pledge of safety. Think of it like this. You've heard me say this a ton. The whole Bible was written, particularly the Old Testament, with gospel clues everywhere. And you really do need to learn how to read the Bible that way. And it's not forcing something on the Bible. They're just there. And here's what I mean. Take Joseph and Judah. These are the two main characters at this point in the story. And who is Joseph? Joseph is the beloved son who was sold into slavery, considered lost, only to reemerge as the one who has the power to save life. And then take Judah. Here is Judah, this brother who, recognizing what he has done and how wrong it was, is now willing to take the place of his younger brother in order that his younger brother could go home and be restored to his father. He's willing to exchange his life for his brother's. Now, do you see that? That's just right there on the surface of the story. And you know why they're there? They're there because they're intended to point us and to show us who Jesus is. Jesus is the beloved son who was forsaken, who was abandoned, who was, if you will, sold into slavery. And not just sold, but he was crucified. He was killed on a cross, outside the city, covered with shame and guilt. And he rises again. Why? In order that you and I and any person throughout history who would put their faith in him might experience what it means to be truly alive. And then take Judah. You see, Judah is a clue to what it means that Jesus came. Jesus came to take your place. Jesus came to be your substitute, to offer his life for yours. And you know why? Jesus came to offer his life for yours so that you might return to the open embrace of your heavenly father. This is really important, and, and um, at the risk of offense, I think especially in the South, 
There is this notion that if I grow up in the Christian subculture, in the Christian orbit, God just loves me. He's my father. That, I'm telling you, that's a lie. The reason you can say that God is your father is because Jesus took your place. Jesus reconciled you to God. And in fact, the most unique feature of a Christian is that a Christian can call God our father. See, the the pledge of our safety is Jesus Christ. So, think back now to this perspective. Do you think about your life, the circumstances, the hurts and the wounds, the ups and the downs, the, the good and the bad intentions, the good and the bad actions, from this perspective that God is about saving lives. He is about doing good toward you. Now, that's a hard thing to believe, but here's what you need to understand. The cross of Jesus is the permanent reminder that God brings life out of death. And what it means to live every day as a Christian means no matter what you're going through, no matter what's happened to you, no matter what you've done, that in Christ you have good news to look forward to and good news right now. Because God sent Jesus to go before you. It's why we read from Hebrews chapter 12 earlier. Jesus has run the race before you. And what did he do? He endured the cross, despising the shame. And why did he do it? For the joy set before him. And you should be asking, what is that joy? And the joy is you. that you might experience and know today, tomorrow, and forever God's goodness to you right here and now in the midst of all that's not so good because Jesus is your pledge of safety. That's what this story teaches us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this passage, for this story for the ways in which it's so raw and uh, exposing and realistic. And yet we give you thanks and praise that if you can do this great work in this story, could it be that you can do the same in our lives and in our relationships and in our world? And we pray that you would help us to believe that the answer to that question is in fact yes, because you sent Jesus who is a better Joseph and a better Judah and an elder brother who loves us to the very end, who will never leave us and never forsake us so that we might be welcomed in to the embrace of our Father. Thank you for what you've done. Please help us to rejoice in it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.